Good morning, church. Anyone? I'm Raina Barker, Minister of Spiritual Formation here for those of you who I don't know yet. And so we, today we are beginning a six-week series called Jesus in the Wild. And it's based on this little book here, but it's also a book that's published by an organization called Seedbed. And Seedbed has this publication called The Wake-Up Call. And we can get the exact same material that we have in this little book in our inboxes every single morning where you can go in and you can listen to it or you can read it. And so if after today you decide that you'd like to be fully immersed in this material, in this subject, I would encourage you to go and get signed up for the seedbed um, wake-up call because it'll be an opportunity for you to be fully immersed daily, not just on Sunday mornings. And also, another development related to this is Isaac and I just decided for our Sunday school class over the next six weeks, we're going to give you an opportunity to come and discuss material that's related to the sermon, related to Jesus in the wild. I'm talking into microphones. I'm going to stop doing that. There. And so, ah, that's so much better. Does it sound different to you guys too? No, no, just me. Okay, either way, that's all right. And so, 9.30 Sunday mornings, if you want to dig deeper into this theme, please come and join our Sunday school class. You can drop in and drop out as needed, and we would love to have you there for greater um, immersion in the subject. So, right now, we are going to dig into Luke chapter 4, and Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to be over these next six weeks. It's traditionally called Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. It is a part of Jesus' life in which we think of the very, very beginning of his ministry. And so I would invite you to go into the Word with me this morning. And I'm going to share a practice with you that I picked up on in a different tradition. And that is when the Word of God is read in a lengthier passage, the preacher, when he or she is finished reading the Word, will typically say, this is the Word of God to the people of God. And the people respond by saying, Thanks be to God. And so we're going to do that this morning. After I read our passage from Luke chapter 4, I invite you to respond with those words, thanks be to God. So go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 4. You can also see it on the screen. And we will see what God has to say to us today. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And Jesus answered, oh no, and the devil took him up, verse 5, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
Verse nine, and he took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. This is the word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. So my task this morning is to offer a summary of what you can expect over the next six weeks. I'm introducing our subject, introducing our text, and also introducing the context of which we're looking at. And so there are lots of things that we can pull out of these 14 verses. And I'm not gonna go verse by verse, which is really what I'm tempted to do here. I want to just pull it apart and pull out all the nuggets of wisdom. But I know that Tucker and Darwin and probably Isaac again, you guys are all gonna have the opportunity to do that for you all in the next six weeks. So I'm just gonna do an introduction. We'll try anyway. And so if we look at our passage, we also have to look at what comes before and what comes after. So take a look with me in Luke chapter three. It's just a quick statement in verses 21 and 22 of Jesus' baptism. He goes to John the Baptist and he says, baptize me. And so Jesus is baptized right before his experience in the wilderness. And during his baptism, we see that God declares Jesus' identity and his belovedness. He says to Jesus, when he comes out of those baptismal waters, he says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so before Jesus performs any miracles, before he makes any official teachings, before he does any of the work he is charged with doing, he's receiving an affirmation of his value. God says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It has nothing to do with what he does or what he doesn't do. Jesus had value because he belonged to God, because he was loved by God. And that's the same for us. We are not on mission because of what we do. We are on mission because we are first loved by God. So don't forget that. And then the second part of the context comes after the temptation in the wilderness. We see in the second half of Luke chapter four that Jesus declares his purpose. We see this starting about verse 15 through 21. And the last time I preached, I had the opportunity of referring to this passage and reading it as well. And so Cole bought me this microphone because I called it Jesus' mic drop moment. And this is the time when Jesus is first entering the scene of public ministry. And he has such confidence in what he is about to do. And so Jesus, in verse, um, chapter four, verse 17, if you're following along, he goes into the temple or in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And in verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And so he unrolls the scroll 
and he finds the place where it is written in Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls the scroll back up, he hands it back to the attendant, and he sits down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. This is the mic drop moment. He says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Boom. Jesus knows what his purpose is. He is on mission. <laughs> Sorry, they're giggling over here. Stop it. <laughs> and, and so he, he knows what his purpose is because he's already has confidence that he is loved, that he is chosen by God. And so when we are confident in our purpose and our identity, we can get on mission with him. So like Jesus, when we embrace our identity as belonging to God, when we accept that we are dearly loved by God, and that he confers value on us despite what we do or what we don't do, we're going to face a challenge to that identity, that belovedness and that purpose. And, and so when we understand and commit to our purpose, perhaps we call it the calling on our lives, what we are called to, perhaps we call it our vocation, we will see that hell will come against us to prevent us from carrying out that purpose. And so our challenge here comes from a spiritual foe who is the embodiment of evil, an enemy whose singular goal is to get us lost out in our own wilderness. He will try to get us lost about who we are, it's our identity, whose we are, our belovedness and belongingness to God, and what we are for, our purpose. So for these next six weeks, we're going to explore how Jesus goes into the wilderness, he goes into the wild, to learn all we can for our own journeys when we're in the wilderness. The story of Jesus in the wild, that's just short for wilderness, is the story of Jesus facing his calling as the son of God and the enemy's resistance of that calling. So each week we'll focus on a different point about how we can understand our own callings within the wilderness and then face the enemy's trials. So in Israel, we see that the wilderness is the barren lands, the place where it's less populated, where it's hot, less fertile. And so one author that I've run into, his name is John Mark Comer, he puts it this way. He says, desert here doesn't necessarily mean sand and heat. The Greek word is eramos, and it has a wide array of meanings. It can be translated desert, deserted place, desolate place, solitary place, lonely place, quiet place, wilderness. The eramos is where so much of life happens. Lives are built on or broken by what happens in that quiet, solitary place. This is not, however, the same thing as suffering. I think in the past, I've always equated the wilderness with a time of suffering. And I'm not saying there cannot be suffering at all within the wilderness, but it's not the same. The wilderness time and suffering are not simultaneous, or are not the same thing, I should say. 
I'm starting to learn it's more the wilderness that prepares us for the suffering that will inevitably come our way. We can choose to go into the wilderness with the Spirit, whereas suffering, more often than not, just blindsides us, swipes us right off our feet. So, so know that there is a distinction between wilderness and suffering. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But we tend to, like suffering, avoid the wilderness at all costs. Entering the wild, the unpredictable, the risky, the uncomfortable, even dangerous places seems reckless at the very least. Some of you are hungry for it, I know, but most of us tend to avoid the risk. And, and so I think we much prefer what is known what is comfortable, what is predictable, what is safe, usually, which is lower risk. What we're going to see, however, is that the way of Jesus, the way of life in him, is through the wilderness. Instead of running from the wild, perhaps we'd be wise to position ourselves or make ourselves available for God to take us there. Because if you look in the scriptures, verse 1, Luke 4, verse 1, we see that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, and then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He is not empty. And so if we are people who are full of the Spirit, who are following the Spirit, there's a high likelihood that we are going to be led straight into the wilderness, into that place of risk, that place of discomfort. And so expect to face the wilderness as a believer. And then trust that you are prepared for the wilderness because the Spirit is inside of you. He is with us in the wilderness. Verse 2 then shows us that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. He was fasting and he was praying, and then at the end of the 40 days is when the enemy directly approaches him. And so we see that Jesus was at his weakest, he was at his most vulnerable place when the enemy approached him. And so I hope we can find hope in this because we can remember that Jesus understands exactly what it's like to be in a place of vulnerability when the enemy attacks. It is not when we're at our strongest, most confident place that we're poised to resist the enemy the best. Our vulnerability, our weakness, perfectly positions us to rely on God and his strength instead of our own. To rely on his power instead of our own. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10 put it this way. This is Paul talking. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." And so Paul stands firm in his own wilderness because he relied on God's power in him. The enemy will try to take advantage of us when we are at our weakest. 
This, however, is an opportunity for God to show his strength on our behalf, to show himself strong, because we're relying on him and not ourselves. And so we do find hope in that place, that we recognize how Jesus stood firm and came out of the wilderness season, then if you see in verse 14, in the power of the Spirit. He goes into the wilderness full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and he exits the wilderness full of the Spirit. And so once we're there in the wilderness, what happens? We see testing. We see temptation. While he's in the wild, Jesus must face his calling as the Son of God. He's the beloved Son sent to rescue mankind and restore them to fellowship with God. His time in the wilderness affects how he spends the rest of his life. And so we, too, must face ourselves in the wild. And then the trajectory of our lives depends on what happens in the wild. We see that Jesus was tested in his calling, and that test came through three temptations of the enemy. One scripture that reminds me that we are tested by God is from Deuteronomy chapter 8, and is actually one of the passages that Jesus quotes here. And so we see the Israelites in the wilderness, and God says to them, um, 8 verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God allows us to be tested for our good in order to know what is in our hearts. The enemy, however, tempts us for our destruction. He wants to crush our souls, but God's testing is intended to build us up, not to tear us down. The two experiences can look similar, can feel similar, but the purposes and outcomes of testing or temptation are very different. The Greek word here used in our passage is parazo, and it can easily be translated into English as temptation or testing. It's not always one or the other I'm describing, or I'm starting to understand. It can be both simultaneously, and perhaps even the results of our testing or temptation determine its true nature. I don't know that for sure. I'm just thinking, like, depends. If we're totally crushed by it and our souls are worse off after we come out, perhaps that was temptation. If we're stronger, if we're more in the spirit, perhaps that was testing. Don't quote me on that. I'm not positive. It's just something I've been pondering a little bit. So let's keep thinking about this idea of testing, though. Like tests in school, a test reveals what we know, reveals what is true. Tests from God reveal what is true about our character, about what we believe to be true, and what is happening on the inside of us. And these things are meant to be good. This revelation, this exposure is meant for our good. This is a good thing. It can feel really scary at times, but it's a good thing. Temptation, on the other hand, is from the enemy of our souls, 
and has the goal of leading us to do evil. So as Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, he willingly chose to undergo God's testing through his practices of fasting and prayer. Let's be like Jesus and position ourselves to be led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Welcoming the wild will reveal what is inside us. How we handle the tests we encounter, who we see them coming from, means everything. This is the place where our hearts are proved true and our faith is revealed as genuine. And the thing about this testing is, in this wilderness, is that it is never, ever, ever without the presence of God. We are never alone in our testing. He is not the professor sitting there at the front of the class being like, okay, how are they gonna do on this test right now? He's not sitting back watching us in our testing. He is filling us, he is with us. He says he is full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's not like waiting at the entrance to the wilderness saying bye-bye, hope you do well. He is right there in it. God equips us moment by moment, giving us his very self, his very spirit to walk through that testing. And if you really think hard about this, the exact same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is that exact same power that is in us. That is the power that is in our hearts in the wilderness. That is the power we have to pass the test. If you have the power of resurrection in your heart through the spirit of God living inside of you, you can pass the test, my friends. It is real and it is powerful. Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. The power of the God of the universe who created the world and raised Jesus from the dead is with us in the wilderness. In the wild, in the unpredictable, ever-changing wild, we are listening hard for the voice of God. One of my family's favorite shows to watch is The Mandalorian. Has anybody else watched it, binged it, any of the above? Okay, so if you have, you know that he says all the time, this is the way. And I'm always like, wait, there's more to that verse. And so I always want to say, this is the way, walk in it, because that's just, it's in my head. I know this is the way, walk in it. And so I found that verse, it's Isaiah 30, verse 21. And the entire verse actually says this, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And I think this verse is so perfect for us in the wilderness because in the wilderness we are to be listening hard for the voice of God. That is how we access God's power because our ears are turned on to him and we are listening for his guidance. We are listening for him to tell us to turn right or to turn left or to find hope in what he is speaking in those moments. He says, this is the way, walk in it. There is no other way to be with Christ. The wild is the right place for us to discover who we are, whose we are, and what we are for. The wild is really necessary to mature us into fullness of union with Jesus. This is the way, walk in it.
So after the wild, what happens? We see Jesus' identity, his value, his purpose was in question while he was in the wild. And in verse 14, we see that he came out of it stronger, that he was still full of the Holy Spirit. When we pass through the wilderness of testing, of temptation, when we have been hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, we will realize something has become more real to us. We will see that God really is with us, that God really is who he says he is. We will start to understand that I am who God says I am, that you are who God says you are, that you are dearly loved, chosen, and belong to him. We will see that God does what he says he will do. Suddenly, when we pass that test in the wilderness, we'll see that our hearts are more aligned with what our head says to be true. So often we have a disconnect. We know that God is loved, but I don't feel loved in this moment. The wilderness teaches us that I am loved, and by golly, I'm going to live like I am loved. Jesus faced the questioning of his identity, his belovedness, and his purpose in the wilderness. We know he passed his test, continuing to live in the assurance that he is God's beloved son in whom God is well pleased. And then that assurance, that confidence in knowing whose he is, who he is, that God is on his throne, prepared him to walk through the suffering before him that we learn about on the cross. And that can be true for us too. Our wildernesses can prepare us for the suffering that will come our way. Suffering's a lot more manageable when we know who God is, when we believe him to be true, when we believe who we are because of him. But the test for Jesus and the testing in our own seasons comes with this unsettling possibility. We can fail the test. And if we fail enough of those tests, or certain tests, we can become utterly lost and crushed by the enemy of our souls. We may literally lose faith or lose heart, believing lies about ourselves and about God that then prevent us from fulfilling our calling. You can see why the enemy wants to come after us in the wilderness. He does not want us to be on mission for the Lord. He does not want us to love the world well. He, does, he wants everything to be crushed and destroyed. And so we choose to say we do not lose heart. And let me throw this in there too. If you have walked through a season of wilderness and you feel like you have not passed the test in that wilderness, it is not over for you. We will enter new wildernesses and we will have a new opportunity to pass this test.
We do not stay crushed. We can start believing truth any time. And so I invite you, if you do feel like you have experienced a time of wilderness in which you have not come out strong, it is not too late. Go into a new season of wilderness with hope, with trust, with relying on the God of the universe to help you pass this next test. Because through our tests, through our trials, we are being trained to respond to God and to the devil just like Jesus did. So we do not lose heart. It is only in the wild that our faith can be proven genuine, not only to God, but to ourselves. How empowering is it to come out from a trial realizing that you did pass the test? In the end, our journey into the wildernesses of life are intended to make us like Jesus, to then bring life to others, as he did later in Luke chapter 4, proclaiming freedom to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, good news to the poor, participating in the kingdom of God. And then the people of God together declare that the kingdom of God is at hand. So go with me in a little bit of a time of reflection now. Have you experienced the wild in recent weeks? Or can you think of a time that you were in the wild? If so, how has that unpredictability of your circumstances, your lack of control, revealed where your faith truly is? And then if you're in a season of wilderness, of wild, questioning everything, feeling lonely, abandoned, feeling like you have no clue what's before you, what to expect, please know that the Lord is with you in it. He has not abandoned you. He is at work. He is on his throne. Your heart is safe and secure with him. You have gone into this wilderness with a blessing, even perhaps led by the Spirit. And you're going to come out strong because the Spirit is inside of you. Do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. And so, God, we invite you to remind us of that, that because of you, because you are on your throne, because you love us so much and you have chosen us as your children, we have every reason to press into you, to listen well to you, to walk in your ways. And so, God, fill us with your spirit. Keep filling us with your spirit so that when we encounter our wildernesses, we come out of those wildernesses still filled by your spirit. Your kingdom is indeed at hand and among us, and so I pray that we would be the people that are filled with your spirit so that we can participate in your kingdom through everything we've walked through in our wildernesses. May we be in your ways. May we be in your love. May we walk in your power, God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you 
are someone who would like to respond by talking to someone about what is going on in your heart. We have lots of people in this congregation who are willing to have conversations with you. There's several elders around. There are other people. I'll be up here in the front. Mike is here in the front. We'd love to talk to you to have further reflections, give you some space to talk to God. If you want to join our church family and become part of what it means to live life together, we invite you to come forward to join the church as well. And so you're invited to come if you would like to. Otherwise, we will stand and we will sing together and give praise to the one who is with us in the wilderness.